Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again. We're here to talk all things SmackDown and Raw as WWE continues on its journey to Crown Jewel, Blood Money in the Sand 6, whatever the hell you want to call their upcoming special event in Saudi Arabia. It is less than two weeks away at this point, airing next Thursday on Peacock and WWE Network internationally. So there is plenty happening in the world of WWE and plenty for us to discuss and break down on this podcast. Before we get into the entire show today, a reminder, folks, you guys know how we start off getting over. So please do us a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading on over to Apple Podcasts, leaving a five-star rating and review, and letting people know how much you love this show, telling them why they should listen to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And you can also be a mark for this show by telling your friends, family, your coworkers, your dentist, your dog walker, anyone you know who likes wrestling, tell them about your favorite podcast and please ask them to listen along with you. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I'll go through the whole spiel next week when we'll have our live show and we'll have our instant analysis and all that really good stuff. Just know we talk about wrestling all week long. We share a lot of cool clips uh, and we have a good time. So please follow us at Getting Overcast. All right, Chris, you were not with us last week for the AEW and NXT show, so it's the first time you and I have spoken about wrestling in a week, uh, which is always nice, I think. We get a little bit more of a fresh take when we don't talk to each other as frequently. Uh, I want to kick off today's show by giving a little general overview of WWE from the last week. I think, you know, there was a period of time, right, where we were going pretty strong, SmackDown, I should say, was going pretty strong. It was not just the A show in WWE, it was the A show in wrestling. Yep. And then over the last, I don't know, at least as far as I'm concerned, month, month and a half, it's taken a few steps back, largely because of its women's booking. I think it's been atrocious. But over that same period of time, Raw has stepped up, not in any way where it's the A show, but where after being largely unwatchable for a nine-month period, very repetitive, over the last five weeks, Raw really stepped up and became a watchable wrestling show again with a lot of really entertaining elements, and I appreciated it. This week, I think, was the worst week of WWE TV in quite a while. Raw on Monday, it was back to being terrible after, like I said, a month, five, six weeks of improved programming, even if creative had its issues during those last four, five, six weeks. SmackDown had some very entertaining individual segments and moments, but I did not find it to be a strong show top to bottom. And I'm trying to figure out whether this is a factor of Crown Jewel coming up. We always in the past talked about WWE screwing up its booking and creative even worse than normal for this show. In the past, though, they did that because they were doing two pay-per-views in the same month and trying to jam two sets of storylines together. They'd also bring in people who are not normally part of the main roster. I'm not talking about Brock Lesnar and Goldberg. I'm talking more about like 
Shawn Michaels and Kane and The Undertaker and, and all this type of stuff. And they tried to jam it all together with nonsensical storylines, and it didn't really work. I think the storytelling and the build for Crown Jewel has actually been the best out of any of these individual events. But I think when you're combining Crown Jewel with the draft and the roster shuffling, trying to do two tournaments at once, one of which is somewhat succeeding, the other of which is a massive failure right now. I think they're just trying to shove and fit too much into these shows while Monday night is trying to compete with Monday Night Football. Friday on SmackDown, they're still trying to keep ratings up to keep Fox happy during this weird period. I just think it's an amalgamation of crap, all being kind of shoved and rotated together where we're picking out bright points as opposed to picking out shitty points, which is what we normally do. Yeah, it's a bit of a mess right now. And and we're kind of in this limbo period where it's post-draft, but pre-the-draft mattering. So now it's just kind of a mishmash of things, and they don't really know exactly what direction they, they, they want to go. Real quick, this is the first time we've talked in a week about wrestling. I was not on the AWNXT show, but I just wanted to say that I caught a bit of NXT and my new favorite professional wrestler is Tony D'Angelo, the Italian mobster. Okay, character. but I, is he your favorite, ironically, <laughs> or is he actually like? Because I, I don't understand the he Tony is D'Angelo. So entertaining okay. as a as okay. a as an Italian American who uses his hands and in, in in motions when he talks. It's great to see that representation in professional wrestling. I don't know where it's going to go. We don't need to get into a whole thing. If I'm on this week's show, we, we can get into it more. But I just want to say I caught him for the first time and I loved him and I can't wait to see more of him. Uh, so you're not on, bothered. On no, I want to talk about I know it's I know it's the WWE show, but I want to talk about it. And since you brought it up, I, I gave you this great <laughs> intro to you talk did. about Raw and SmackDown and all this stuff. And then you just talk about Tony D'Angelo. So since you're derailing the show, let's derail it. Right. Let's talk about Tony D'Angelo. So <laughs> are you not bothered? OK, so look. I don't mind there being um, hints of stereotypes in wrestling, right? Because you are appealing to a larger audience. And as long as the stereotype is not negative, right? And it's not insulting to the person. I think it's okay to kind of feed into a couple of those things. But Tony D'Angelo is the most stereotypical character that WWE, I think, has put together in a long time individually just for like him, like from starting out from scratch, right? Between the hand movements, between the talking about throwing people off docks, it's like they're trying to do a Sopranos ripoff, but he's from Chicago, so it's not a ripoff. That's that's basically what they're right. trying to do. And I don't dislike the idea of having an Italian-American who talks that way. Like, look, Enzo and Big Cass, that they were an Italian gimmick. Mm-hmm. Carmella was a Staten Island Italian type of gimmick. All of that was okay, but it felt modern. This feels like it's from like 1985 or 1995. Right. That's 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 why I like it. Like it, okay. it, it it's so over the top that you can't help but get into it. We're we're not we're almost not supposed to take him seriously if that makes sense. He's not out there literally doing hit jobs. And this is He did try way. to bribe the official before the match though. Hey, you know, that, that he's just that referee works hard. Tony was just trying to make sure that he had enough money for his family at home. He's hey, I'm nice wrestling guy. here. Hey, I'm wrestling nice here. Guy. He's being a nice guy. So that, that was that was such. OK, by the way, that's an example of a little subtlety. That it was I actually think is, it was the best part of the entire is really going to make this yeah. character work. He, yeah. he, he, he gets a lot of little things, and I think people appreciate that. But 
he's just like, like like he's he's a caricature, but he's so clearly a caricature that you're willing to just buy into the story. I, I don't really think he's going back to a mob family and living that kind of life. So, you know, in that sense, I'm willing to go along for, for the ride because it's pretty, you know, we're not trying to actually believe he's this. He's playing a character. We know he is, and he's doing a really good job at it. The crowd was really into it. The crowd um, loved him. It, they yeah. did. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes in NXT. I, I, I guess he'll be on that interview show or whatever this week. Um, but I, yeah, that was my first time seeing him. I went up and looked up, looked up his promos and I was like, man, this guy, like, I don't know. He, he's, he's got a lot of charisma. He's got a lot of energy and a lot of little subtleties that, made me really enjoy the character and and um i'm excited to see where it goes so i derailed the show here you did but but if you just want if, if you haven't watched it just go to to, to youtube and type in tony d'angelo d apostrophe angelo see a couple of his promos see his match from from last week and and see what you think i i you mentioned it on the show uh go back and listen to last week's show if you haven't but uh, i just want to throw that out there well his I will say his first couple uh, vignette promos, whatever you want to call them, they did turn me off because I thought they were trying to do it 100% seriously. And then mm-hmm. when I saw him actually live on NXT, I, I, I did think it was better last week. I don't, I don't dislike it the way I dislike LA Knight. Don't get me wrong. Um, so I think this guy, I think more than anything else, he has so much charisma and talent mm-hmm. that he, this is not going to be his gimmick forever, right? It's how do, you, how do you evolve this gimmick? And when they do evolve the gimmick, then I think you're going to see a guy who has the potential to be a star. It's just to introduce him this way initially, because I've talked about him, I think, three times on the podcast now. The first two times I was just like, what are they doing with this? This this is so stereotypical. But then it was like, you know what? It's kind of fun and kind of funny. Exactly. You know, but but look, we'll have to see how it goes forward. Right. It's only been we've seen him one time actually. Yeah wrestle and we've only seen him in totality three times so yeah but you know. i also want i also want to bring that up because honestly not a lot of consequence happened on raw or smackdown other than the king of the ring and queen's crown tournament like we're just kind of i treading water a they bit are. here until yeah. crown jewel and and we got a lot of matches on raw that some of them were fun but just didn't mean anything it, it it's really not been a banner week for wwe and the other thing i tweeted and i'll mention this And then we'll get into the entire show. WWE, it really has a wrestling problem right now, like an in-ring wrestling problem. They historically have cared more about, you know, promos and entertainment and some of those things than other organizations. And this is predates AEW. I mean, AEW is very focused on the wrestling product, which is a good thing, just like NXT used to be. That was a very good thing. But it was never, I never had it as a negative mark against WWE that it was more about entertainment and promos and storytelling and things like that. As long as I got wrestling along with it, which we did, even when raw over this past year was in its lowest points, we would randomly get a riddle. Sheamus 20 minute, big meaty banger. And we'd say, Hey, at least we got a really good wrestling match on TV. That was not the case on raw Monday night. Almost every single match was a disappointment. There was, I think, one good match on the entire show. Everything else was either way too short. And I'm not saying too short, like where I complained that it was eight minutes and I wish it was 13 or 15. I'm talking about two minutes, 90 seconds, three minutes, like insultingly short. Uh, and, and, or 
The matches that went long or had a little oomph to them or had star power, we got non-finishes. We didn't even get pinfalls and submissions. And the they, there were two matches, the women's main event and the men's main event, that were basically identical to the mm-hmm. point where I was infuriated watching it. So SmackDown, we got a couple matches. It was okay. But WWE has five hours of programming. And I don't think there's ever been a week, maybe, I don't want to say ever, ever, but I think maybe ever, where if you calculated it by time, there was this little wrestling across five hours of, of WWE programming. It was insane what I was watching. I couldn't I couldn't even believe it. Yep. And, and they, they don't have stories to tell because the card is already booked, essentially. And right. So they're not even telling compelling stories to take the place of wrestling. And a lot of them are, are rematches or things we've already had. And so it's just, it's all kind of weird. It's, it, it was a bad week. It, it was a really bad week. Now, again, there are bright spots. We are going to talk about the main event. It's a four-part main event. We have the good, bad, and ugly. After that, we're going to talk about SmackDown next week on FS1. A couple other news items to discuss. So it's not like this whole show is going to be negative here. I'm just kind of setting the stage that, look, there's been some weeks where, where we do this show and we're very, very positive. There's others where I'm not and maybe Chris is a little bit. This week, I have a feeling we're both going to be pretty negative about WWE, but let's break it down. Let's get through it all. And the way we start all of that here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is by sliding into the main event. So as I said, it's going to be a four-part main event. We're going to talk about the Roman Reigns storyline to start off. We're going to move over to the women's main event storyline, which took both shows. Then we're going to talk King of the Ring and Queen's Crown. And if you're one of those listeners who loves a good Silver King rant, you're going to get one today. I guarantee it. Okay. Let's start, though, with what I thought was one of the most positive developments across both shows, the Roman Reigns storyline. We had Reigns in the bloodline. They came out midway through SmackDown. We did not see them until the midway point of the show. Reigns demanded acknowledgement from the crowd, and then he demanded the same for Paul Heyman for ensuring the Usos stayed on the blue brand. Reigns also said he and the Usos love Heyman as the crowd chanted Suplex City. Uh, Reigns said that doesn't exist because they're on the island of relevancy, which I thought was a great response to a crowd chant that back in the day would get him off his you know, spot a little bit. Reigns asked Heyman to come clean and admit that he's responsible for Brock Lesnar's free agency. Heyman stammered and said he's been accused of a lot of things, but never being stupid. And it would be stupid to telegraph turning on Reigns. Reigns made, made Heyman look into the camera and tell Lesnar directly as the crowd chanted for Brock. Heyman did it. He cut an awesome promo directly into the camera uh, as Reigns was looking over his shoulder the entire time. And again, sometimes we shit on WWE production. They deserve credit. It was an awesome shot. Yes. Heyman looking, Reigns over his shoulder, almost like the devil on Heyman's <laughs> shoulder. And Heyman's a devil himself. Really, really good. But this was an awesome top to bottom segment. I loved it. Reigns and Heyman were both on point. And what I loved most about it is that Heyman never actually answered Reigns' question. He mm-hmm. just talked his way around it the entire time, which is classic Paul Heyman, the character, and maybe even the man in real life. So it still leaves open the possibility that we get some shenanigans or a complete swerve at either Blood Money in the Sand 6 or afterward, because it feels like this is going to wind up being the WrestleMania program, or at least the Royal Rumble program for Reigns. So this may only be the first of a few steps down the line during this Reigns 
Lesnar feud. We're going to do our predictions next week uh, for Crown Jewel and whether we actually think the title is going to change. But for them to keep me this interested in something that we've already seen before, it goes beyond the Reigns-Lesnar heel-face dynamic that's changed sides. I'm actually interested in Paul Heyman. Does he have a role in this? Why is Brock Lesnar a free agent? Is he going to be around WWE, even though we know he's probably not going to be? Is he going to be around frequently? Is he going to win the title? All of these questions, as a fan watching the product, you're asking yourself, I really don't know what they're going to do in this match and at this event, and that is good booking. So again, a lot of criticisms coming this week. This, for me, was a total top-to-bottom positive. Yeah, and and I like that Roman keeps making Paul do these things in public. Like, theoretically, it's like, wait, why is Roman continuing to drag this out? He doesn't have an answer. Like, like, like he hasn't told you yet. Why is this continuing week to week? Well, he's trying to make an example of him publicly. He's he's trying to put this all out there and put Paul in a stressful position to get an answer out of him. But he hasn't quite gotten an answer out of him yet. And so it, it's been, it, it's been again, just the, the, the mental side of this whole Roman Reigns character has been fascinating from the beginning, going back a year plus to, to the, to the Jimmy and Jay stuff. The, like I know WWE overuses the word mind games or the phrase mind games, but that's really what this is on, on both of their parts, Paul and Roman. And Absolutely. You, and you don't know where it's going to go. And that's what makes it so fascinating. And you talk about the heel face dynamic and whatnot. Roman got a lot of cheers on SmackDown. And there were a lot of fans putting up the ones, you know, when they say we are the ones. I don't know if or when a Roman heel turn is coming. Frankly, I think he needs to drop the title at some point as a heel. But when he becomes a face, whenever that happens, I think you're going to have a lot of people behind him. Well, look, fans always love a cool heel, right? They mm-hmm. always do. He's gotten cool now. He, he's been, yeah, he's been cool this whole run. Right, and but I mean, not now that we have fans back and everything. Oh, yes, right. They, they're able to express themselves. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but look, again, I mean, I'm not trying to do like the Barry Horowitz here, but I, I, everyone who's listened to me as a podcaster for all the shows I've been on, uh, I've been saying it for years. The best way when, when someone is really struggling as a face and it's not working, the best way to get them massively over as a face is to turn them heel and give them a lot of success and great booking as a heel. And then you flip that switch and they become an even bigger baby face than they were before. The best example of that is The Rock. Like it, yep. he, they tried to make him a face. It did not work as Rocky Maivia. They made him The Rock in Nation of Domination. And he was so freaking cool that fans could not help but to cheer for him. Then they made him a face and he was massive. And the thing that worked about The Rock so well is they could turn him back. He could go back heel and then he could go back face. And the crowd was willing to buy into it as long as the person opposite him, usually Steve Austin, was strong in that face role. And Reigns has that same capability for WWE. They tried so hard to make him the next John Cena when how did they not realize he should have always been the next Rock? You know, I'm not saying he has Dwayne Johnson's charisma. No one has Dwayne Johnson's charisma. But I mean, how do you not see that? He's a handsome Samoan dude, right? Like it fits. It's the family dynamic. Why would you not kind of continue on that line? But what it look, it didn't work and they wasted years. It's working now and it's working the best it possibly could as far as I'm concerned. I think they're absolutely crushing 
this tribal chief character. And it's, man, it's really the bright spot. It's continuously the bright spot of WWE almost every single week. Speaking of the speaking of the rock, real quick, did you catch his uh, his rap line in the in the Tech Nine song? I did. I saw this. I saw the track. Um, look, it was pretty good for the Rock. What I was insulted by most is that he said this was his first rap song. That is not true uh, no. because anyone who watched WWE back in the day or, or had the Ruthless Aggression soundtrack, um, I believe he was on like a song called Pie at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. I also know he wasn't technically on the track, but Method Man yeah. wrote a song for The <laughs> Rock that was part of that. I love those albums. So I guess maybe technically this is the first time he's like a featured artist on a track. But let's not act like Dwayne Johnson doesn't ha- have any rap background because he was <laughs> on some of those WWE albums. But I actually liked the track a lot. I thought it was a good song, Tech 9. Um, and The Rock was pretty good. Yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. It, it, was, it was better than I expected. Well done. Do you like rap or, you, or do you like hip hop or is that not your? your yeah, song? I mean, I, I like it. I, I I can't say I have a deep knowledge or uh, strong opinions on various things. But, you know, if, if there's a song I like, I like it. Yeah, I was I was heavy into it from middle school all the way through, like, mm. I don't know, five years out of college. And then just listening to music, I think as every it happens to every older person, God forbid, I call myself washed here. Uh, you know, I phased out of like keeping up with the newest rappers and keeping up with the newest yeah. artists. I still listen to whatever the popular songs are, obviously, but I don't go deep into catalogs anymore. Right. But Tech 9 is someone who I've listened to for a long time, and it kind of seems like he's just started truly gaining mainstream popularity over the last decade or so. And so for him to be so popular, The Rock to be on that song, uh, I yeah. thought it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. getting The Rock on your track's a big deal. No question. Okay, so yeah, we've, uh, I mean, 20 minutes into the show, we've really gone in some interesting directions here, but all right, we'll see if that continues. Uh, Let's keep going. Uh, You have nothing else to say about Reigns, right? And that it was a short segment. No, it was good, yeah. All right, so let's move on to the very long, very involved uh, women's main event segment. Uh, We had a SmackDown Women's Championship contract signing on SmackDown. The women were separated by their own tables. So Becky was at a table on the ramp. Sasha Banks was standing on the announce booth. And Bianca Belair had a table in the ring. The the picture of that, I was actually like, you know what? They're doing something different. Okay, let me see where this goes. We got intros and highlights for them, even though everyone was already out. So like Becky Lynch is sitting at a table and they're playing her entrance music after the fact that everyone already saw her there. So I thought that was extremely strange and very, very weird that they did it that way. Uh, Becky called out Sasha for not being at SummerSlam. Banks said her spotlight is the biggest of the three. Belair said 2021 has been her year. They all brawled. I thought it was terrible until Bianca Belair grabbed both women and tried to do a double KOD. Uh, Sasha fell off her shoulders. So she booted her onto the table and then KOD'd Becky into Sasha through the table. Later backstage, Becky went on a rant to management, putting herself over before just signing the contract and then hitting Adam Pierce in the nuts with it. We never saw Banks or Bel Air sign. So as far as I was concerned, like Becky was the only one who had signed the contract. Look, 75% of WWE contract signings are bad. This one I thought was particularly crappy. Bianca's KOD at the end, it was sick and it saved it from being a total disaster. But the whole thing was just ridiculous. And it was really, I thought, a waste of time to start the show. Yeah, it, it wasn't much, but it was clearly meant to build up to the spot you know, with Bianca, which they did, and which we're going to say again, that 
you know, yes, the way SummerSlam played out wasn't great, but we said at the time, they think she's a star. They're going to keep treating her like a star, and they have. And that was another example of it. Just put her in a position to look awesome. Overall, yeah, it was kind of whatever. And then when it kind of plays into what we'll get into what happened with Raw, this whole thing's a bit of a mess right now. Um, but they are yeah. hitting some spots that they are trying to get to at least. So that's something. You mentioned the SummerSlam booking. Um, Becky Lynch did an interview with Ryan Satin um, and his new podcast, whatever it is for Fox. I'm going to read you the quote, which she said, because she was asked directly about that. I'm curious to get your take on it. I know a lot of people were upset about the SummerSlam match. Well, if we had a long match and then I beat Bianca Belair, then I just beat her. That's not good for her. But if she's robbed and we take something from her and she doesn't expect it, then we, meaning fans, want her to succeed. Oh, we want her to succeed. We don't want the person with it to have it anymore. We want the baby face to succeed. We want that more. By the way, I'm inserting words where she was vague. Um, and then she said, I think we're doing just fine, referring to the storyline. What do you think of that take from her? My issue, even at the time, was not that they had a short match. I, I was, you know, I, I got it if the point was to make Becky Lynch a heel. We just didn't know that at the time. so. People cheered it, although they were kind of stunned in, in the second half. But Becky coming out and uh, after winning and, you know, lifting it up to the crowd, like treating it like she's a, a face champion upon winning the title. I think that was kind of my issue because it wasn't quite clear. I think they needed to make the heel turn a bit more clear in the moment at SummerSlam. But the idea of Becky being heel, taking the belt from Bianca, that's going to get more uh, face heat, uh, face heat for Bianca was correct and has proven to be correct. I, I just think in the moment it wasn't as clear as it could have been. I think that's exactly correct. Um, I do think Becky as a performer, someone involved in it has somewhat of a point. It, it did counter expectation, but what you said nailed it. It, they did a soft heel turn as opposed to a hard heel turn in that moment, since it's been a hard heel turn. But in yes. that moment, she should have done something that was so obviously heel that the crowd was going to boo her. And maybe you don't beat her in 26 seconds. Maybe you beat her in two minutes, right? Maybe you no, do something where, no, this is what I'm saying. Let me explain. Yeah. Where, where you do something where she declines to have the match. And then Bianca turns her back on her and Becky grabs a weapon and hits her with it and says, you want to have a match with the man? You want to fight the man at SummerSlam? Okay, let's go. And Bianca's injured in the corner, kind of like some, when someone cashes in a Money in the Bank briefcase. Bianca's injured in the corner, but she has that pride and she's not going to let it, whatever. So then they start the match and you do the exact same spot. Becky tries to shake her hand and Bianca's like, okay, she's still a little bit naive as a baby face. She goes for it. Boom, shot to the face, manhandle slam, Becky wins. You do it so that it's obvious that this new Becky Lynch is a piece of shit. This person's a heel. She stole the title from Bianca. She didn't just catch her by surprise. Catching someone by surprise and then doing what they did is a soft heel turn. I think if they made it a hard heel turn, they wouldn't have had nearly as much blowback. People still would have been upset that she turned heel, but they wouldn't have been upset at the booking. 
Th- that's not bad. I I think frankly you could have ju- you could just did it the way they did it. I mean they wanted to, I think they wanted to kind of recreate the Daniel Bryan Sheamus bit a, a little bit that got people behind her because it was such a short match that you're angry. But all all you, <clears throat> you got to do, Becky wins, and then she doesn't smile. She just has a has a straight face on, takes the title, walks out. Doesn't doesn't lift it up, doesn't whatever, just leaves. The other thing I, she I, could I, do is be disrespectful. You know, back in the day when wrestlers would like kick up dirt at yeah. the person, like you could do something like that or put it in her face, shove her face yeah. in it and kind of say, on her. look yeah, what I just used her. to be yours. I just took it from you and, you know, less than a yep. minute, like screw yep. you. Yep. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there's so many other things that they could have done to build the character and build the storyline in that moment. But instead they left it so ambiguous that it didn't even accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah, but Becky has done a really good job since. She she really has leaned into the hard heel, like you said, and and, and people are booing her, and it, it, it's working. They are, yes, and it is working, you're right, and it's because she's great. She's awesome on the mic, so mm-hmm. she can make anything work. Okay, so this was a three-part thing with the women. Let's get to the second part, which was moving over to Raw from SmackDown. We already said the first part wasn't that good. Uh, Charlotte Flair tore down all three women in a backstage promo seeing how she always beats Sasha and actually wants her to win the SmackDown Women's title just so she can take it from her and be double champion. Banks and Belair didn't say much in their promos. Becky said she hates teaming with Flair, but she's a winner, so they'll win. And then she had a great line about Sasha going home every time she loses a title in WWE, (laughs) which is accurate. And I just thought was really good. That was the only one of the four promos that hit for me, though. Yeah, um... You, you know, you do them backstage and, and it's it's sometimes to get hard to get the same kind of kind of oomph you want. The Sasha one was really, you know, but um, yeah, they, they were OK. I, I at least appreciated what they were doing, building to it later in the show. And th- that was a good way to do it, to remind us what is coming in the main event. Yes. Yeah, so we'll move to that main event segment, or at least it wasn't the main event of the show, but. It was their main event, the women's yeah, main yeah. event. Of Sorry, yeah. um, so we had Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair against Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair in a can they coexist tag team match, which is mm. WWE's favorite cliche. Uh, and WWE went, booking-wise, full-on can they coexist before the bell even rang with the teams fighting amongst themselves and then fighting each other. Belair threw Banks off the top rope into Lynch and Flair outside before they all got separated and the crowd was booing. Uh, but Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville, they came out and they said, this match is absolutely going to happen. So while I hate these types of matches and we got not one, but two of them on the same Raw, I was actually really entertained by the brawl only because it's normally how these matches end, not how they begin. For them to all hate each other so much that they couldn't even let the bell ring, I thought was unique and different. And the interactions between Banks and Belair in particular, the way they like were jawing at each other and and uh, the mannerisms they were doing with each other, I thought was particularly fun. So I'm going to pause here because I'm going to talk about the match next. But I actually thought this was somewhat inventive. I, I see what you're saying. And I, I don't think you're wrong. In the moment, though, I just felt like just this feels like a complete mess. Like you, you've got three heels and one face in this. It's always basically been two Bianca's, and two. Yeah. yeah it, it, to, to, to flip it to two and two is, was tough to not start the matches. 
I, maybe it's because you knew that Biggie and Drew was coming up later and it would probably be the same type of deal that it just kind of felt a little messy in the moment. Um, so that was just kind of my reaction at the time. All right. Well, it ended up being identical types of deals. Uh, mm-hmm. So the match starts eventually after commercial. Banks hits Flair with a backstabber. Belair then slams Banks, her partner, face first into the top turnbuckle for no reason whatsoever in the middle of the match. Sasha didn't do anything to her. She didn't say anything to her. Belair just walked into the ring as a face, by the way, grabbed her partner, slammed her into the turnbuckle. The referee then calls a double disqualification, which it's not. It's not a DQ to do that. And it's definitely not a double DQ to do that. And basically, the referee just stopped the match because it was stupid. He's like, he's looking at this. He's like, what are we doing? Let's not have this wrestling match anymore. That's how I took it. Banks hit Belair with a backstabber and then ate a manhandle slam from Lynch. Let me say this simply. This was awful. It was nonsensical. It did none of the four women any favors on a long weekend of really, really crappy women's booking. I thought the main event scene could at least save us because generally what happens is we get angry at the three-minute matches and the roll-ups and all that shit, but when it comes to the main women, we get really good wrestling and we're able to categorize it differently. That did not happen on SmackDown and Raw this week. It was bad across the board. This was pathetic. It was a horribly booked storyline. It lacked creativity and it lacked intelligence. I just thought it was garbage. So going back to what we talked about at the beginning, where Raw has gotten better in recent weeks. And and the reason for that is because they're just giving us something. They're giving us a title change. They're giving us an awesome triple threat match where we get a finish, where where we open with the bloodline and the Usos in Roman and we have like finishes to these matches you can't if if you go from that to giving us a bunch of names but these matches just devolving into nothing that's not rewarding as a viewer that that's not building toward anything that's just like ah we couldn't we didn't want to do anything so let's just make it a mishmash nobody looks better coming out of it nobody looks nobody gets any heat coming out of it you just groan whether you're in the crowd or whether you're watching it on tv like you if you're going to promise us something big, but not give give a, a resolution, at least in the moment, then you're not you're not pleased as a viewer. And we got that twice here, which we'll get into the other one. But that's really, I think, why this Raw was bad was because you can't just give us these women say do stuff and that's fine. No, like there has it has to mean something. It didn't mean anything. For for what reason could we have not had a finish to this match? Right. We had two other major women's matches recently. Both of them had finishes. They were distraction finishes. Um, I believe it was Becky holding Bianca Belair's braid while Sasha folded her over for a cover. It was a finish. It was clean. I liked it. It was a really good match. We got to see them wrestle. We didn't even get to see these women wrestle on the show. If you're promising us a, 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 a f- three-hour wrestling show, and you can't give me with the four of the, the the top four women in the company right now. Oscar's injured and out, and Bailey's injured and out. The top four women in your company right now were in a match. They didn't even give us a match. No, it was a tag team match. You could have done the same thing, but actually given us a match. And instead of Bel Air doing the thing to Banks, Banks doing it to Bel Air, and then Lynch pinning Bel Air in the middle of the ring. And you could blame Sasha for it. So Belair doesn't get hurt by it. Why not do that? Why not just give us a real match with a real finish? 
there's 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 no answer. You cannot give no. me a legitimate answer as to why they didn't do it. And I'm not saying that you should or that you need to, Chris. I'm just saying no one can. It's that's how nonsensical it was. This is the this is the peak example of WWE's squeamishness when it comes to having someone take a loss the way it used to be for a long, long time and hadn't been over the last couple of weeks. But this is why it's so bad. Indeed. Okay, so let's move on. We still have King of the Ring and Queen's Crown to discuss in the main event before we get to the good, the bad and the ugly. And of course, everything else that happened this week in WWE. So King of the Ring. Uh, Look, let's talk about the set really quick before we get into the bracket and then the matches. I'm glad they're going away from a lot of the royalness, right? The capes and some of the silly campy stuff, the plush throne. I'm glad they tried to modernize it a little bit. But don't the thrones look really weird to you? It's just like they're silver with like random boards poking out. There's no background. There's nothing saying it's a a royal set. It's just like gray with a couple of platforms that have crowns on them. Is it just me or does it also look weird to you? Um, I don't know. I guess I didn't really have a thought on the set. My, my, my issue with the set and how it's being used, and this might just be me being weird, but I don't like that people are putting on the crown yet, like just for winning a match. Well, the heels do that. Right. But I don't know. For me, I'm like, it feels like the Stanley Cup where like you shouldn't do that unless you win. I I don't like putting on the crown without, without winning it because we're, because we're not there yet. And so, you know, when you get that crowning moment, we may have already seen it, depending on who wins. I, I I don't know. It's just a little thing. Maybe I'm just being weird, but it's just something. It's just a feeling I have when I watch it. So there you the, go. the only reason I really mentioned it is because I was looking at a picture of Baron Corbin from when he won and he's on that throne with the red, you know, velvet seat and he has the mm-hmm. scepter in his hand. And it's so like old school and a little bit corny. So I like that they're not that they're going in a more modern direction, but it just seems like they've just not give it enough effort almost. I, I mean, I did say at the beginning of this tournament that I don't want them to go all in on a King gimmick. Of course, whoever wins it, it, it can be part of a gimmick, something that's referenced and talked about, but not literally I'm the King. Like they did with Baron Corbin for two freaking years. Um, that, that's another thing, by the way, it feels a little less fresh when we've had a King for two years. We had Corbin for like a year and a half, and now we've got... Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. WWE always did this every year. But after a certain period of time, they stopped with the king shit, right? Right. Like, I I don't know how long. Some people were definitely longer than others. Booker T, for example, was very long. But he was also like the ultimate where the king gimmick worked. You know what I mean? To actually call him King Booker. Um, But in the past, someone would win King of the Ring. And they'd mention it for a period of time and then it would go away. Then you have someone like Steve Austin where he won King of the Ring and he never mentioned it because it was just the heel turn, right? It was just like making yeah. this new character. So, I think I think I think about Edge carrying around like the gray cup or something like that when he won when he won the King of the Ring, the trophy or something like that. Yeah, so so I don't know. We'll we'll see what they do, how it plays out, but I didn't love like the set of it. And so let's talk about the bracket now. Well, also real quick, I don't know if you saw this. I think it was on the YouTube channel. I don't know if it was on the show or not, but because I didn't see SmackDown Live. Um, Nakamura relinquished the crown. He did. So so it was a backstage segment that they aired, like you said, a longer video on YouTube and social media, and they aired a shorter video. They did air it on SmackDown, though. Okay. Um, but just briefly. But Nakamura did relinquish the crown. He didn't want to stand in the way of the tournament, blah, blah, blah. You know. So I thought that was kind of cool. I like the way they did it. 
Yeah. I like the acknowledgement. Okay, so the bracket, let's go through the bracket. The bracket on the SmackDown side is Rey Mysterio, Sami Zayn, Cesaro, and Finn Balor. If you're only doing an eight-man bracket, which is what they did, there's nothing wrong with those four on the SmackDown side as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. On the Raw side, it's Kofi Kingston, Jinder Mahal, Xavier Woods, and Ricochet. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that either. I think Mahal and Kingston both being former WWE champions makes sense. Xavier Woods, obviously, he loves King of the Ring. It's, it's, it's been something he's wanted his entire life. Him being in there makes sense. And Ricochet being extremely exciting and a great wrestler who we don't get to see enough makes sense. But I do want to note, it was weird to me that the two mid-card champions, Damian Priest and Shinsuke Nakamura, were not involved. I also thought it was strange that we had other names who could have been in this tournament that were not. John Morrison, Karrion Cross, and don't you think, considering how much you've struggled with Karrion Cross and the stupid gladiator shit, if you wanted to put him in this tournament and maybe have him win or take an upset loss and start a storyline with someone else, don't you think that might have been a good idea? But okay, Keith Lee, Kevin Owens, yep. Baron Corbin, let's be honest, right? The guy was just the king. And Jeff Hardy. These are some significant names that are not even part of this field. And I think this easily for the men could have been and should have been a 16-man tournament. Now, my assumption, Chris, is the reason they didn't do it is because they're running two tournaments simultaneously and because they're doing it in a very short window of time. But again, I can only talk about if it was me as a booker. I obviously would have started this a month ago. I would have done a 16-man tournament for the men an eight-woman tournament for the women, and I would have spread it out because it gives you things that are important to people to watch on every episode of television. So look, they're not doing that. They're doing eight. I still think the field could have been stronger. Yep. I mean, this this could have started the day after Extreme Rules. It, it didn't need to wait a few weeks. Another person not in it, uh, Chad Gable, who was, I think, in the finals last time. He was against Brad Gorman. And yeah. he'd been tweeting about wanting to be in it and, and want to wrestle Finn Balor in it. And then he found out, I, I don't know if he found out on Twitter or when, but he tweeted that he realized that he wasn't in it. So that's another person who could have been in it. Yeah. I, Keith Lee, more than anybody, I think Keith Lee carrying cross and Chad Gable would have been perfect for this. So wish they could have extended it more, but it is what it is. All right. So let's get to the matches. We'll start with SmackDown. We had Ray Mysterio versus Sami Zayn. Ray said winning King of the Ring is second only to being Universal Champion. I guess he forgets the WWE Championship exists. And Dominic decided to stay backstage with Sammy telling him he's better than his dad. Ray hit a really sick tope front flip Karana outside. Then Sammy threw Ray into the ring post, so Dom came out. Ray hit a code red and a springboard avalanche Karana for a near fall, or a couple near falls. Ray countered a blue thunderbomb into a third Karana, but Zayn avoided the 619 and hit the blue thunderbomb. Sammy then tore off a turnbuckle cover, so Dom jumped up to restrap it. Ray caught Sammy with a seated senton, but yelled at Dom for being on the apron, so Sammy ran them into each other and rolled Ray up for the win. It was obvious Dom would factor into this, but a roll-up to conclude what was legitimately an awesome match between these two guys was so unsatisfying. I'm going to cut that clip from Rounders, a movie you still haven't seen, because I say unsatisfying so often when it comes to WWE. But this was on its way for me to being a four-star match. But I can't go there because the finish was so weak. So I, I'm going to stick at like 3.5 stars in a B. 
Sammy was the right winner. He's obviously going to lose next week before blood money in the sand. The guy literally is not allowed to go to Saudi Arabia because he's Syrian. So we know, we know he's going to lose, but I'm glad he was in the tournament and I'm glad he got this match with Mysterio. It was legitimately fun. Yeah, it, it, it was what it needed to be. And it was a good example of tying in the tournament with another story going on. And, and so maybe finally now we'll get the Dominic Ray blow up that they've been teasing for like two months. I swear to God, pull the trigger on this thing. Um, but uh, yeah, Sammy Zane, Sammy Zane's a guy who should be in this tournament, and a guy who should win a match. So um, this worked. And I know this is jumping ahead of the other three matches. I thought this was the best quarterfinal King of the Ring match. Um, I don't think I don't think I'd have it as the best one, but it was it was fine. Okay, interesting. So we'll see what you thought was the best. Uh, the other one on SmackDown was Cesaro versus Finn Balor. Cesaro snuck in the ring to counter a tope attempt with a pop up European uppercut. Balor ate like four more uppercuts until he countered one with a sling blade, but Cesaro got him with a superplex. Balor countered a swing into a twisting pinning combination and hit a great tope con hero outside. Then he then he hit a missile dropkick into Cesaro and added the coup de gras for the one, two, three to win in 10 minutes. Unlike the first match, this one really got a satisfying and clean finish. But like the first match, it felt like it was only about 50% of what these guys could do together. You have Cesaro and Finn Balor. How are these guys not wrestling 17 minutes? You have Rey Mysterio and uh, Sami Zayn. How are those guys not going 12 to 15 minutes? It was it was a common theme throughout all of these matches that they were too short. The women will get to. That's, I mean, okay, I'm going to save my rant for that. But, but even these men's matches, when you're not putting a lot of wrestling on the show and you have people with this level of talent, why not let them go? That was annoying to me. And because this was so short, and because it kind of just felt like they were running through the motions and not really doing what they could do, it was not the best match of the night. That's why I gave it to Mysterio and Sami Zayn. So I'm just going to go with three stars and a B minus here. See, this one, this was the one I did think was the best match, but I I think part of the reason I think that is because it was Finn Balor and Cesaro and just having them in the ring together was exciting. And this is the kind of thing where, you know, AEW doesn't build a ton of stories that last several weeks, but they'll oftentimes just give you, Hey, here's two awesome wrestlers in the ring. This is a big deal. And everybody goes crazy for it. That's exactly what this should have been. Like it, it just, it should be treated as a big deal that we're getting Cesaro and Finn Balor in a match and not just, Hey, they're having a match, especially for guys who just, haven't wrestled very much together in WWE. So it, it it was it was it was good. It was fine, but you're right. I I, I wish this could have gone 15 minutes and, and, and gotten more shine and love and promotion and, and everything that kind of comes with it. Well, that's the thing. I didn't particularly love the Daniel Bryan uh or Brian Danielson Nick Jackson match. It just wasn't my personal taste. But what I did love is they got a lot of time to go out there and work. Yep. And put on, a, a, you know, some entertaining stuff. So, you know, if you have these two guys and it's an important match, why would you not, you know, be, because it's in King of the Ring, why would you not allow them to go? It's not like they had something booked for SmackDown that was so freaking good that, you know, this couldn't have gotten time because the main event needed 30 yeah. minutes. You know, they, they had the time to, to spare on the show. And so therefore, I was disappointed that this wasn't longer and that to this point, 
these matches have now not been longer. Now, the, the, these matches need to feel different than yes, typical important. Raw SmackDown and, match. It can't and, just be there's something on the line. It's got to be like King of the Ring matches, not just who wins, but just each match feels like, needs to feel like it's a big deal. And by the way, the last King of the Ring, to my recollection, and I could be remembering wrong, but I think they did feel like a big deal. I remember yeah. those Chad Gable matches feeling like a big deal. And definitely, I mean, we're gonna the final match is always a big deal. But that match between Gable and Corbin, because of the way they booked that feud and they intertwined it with the tournament, it really felt like a big deal. The crowd loved and was going crazy for that match. And right now, for these semifinal matches that we're going to get on both shows, it doesn't feel like the crowd's going to care that much about either of them. Uh, but let's talk about the Raw side, and then we'll kind of wrap it all up for this. Uh, we had Xavier Woods against Ricochet. This was very fun. There was a really impressive springboard superplex by Ricochet. Later, Woods did a flying stomp with Ricochet draped over the middle rope, followed by a middle rope leg drop for a near fall, and then a gut buster for another. Ricochet then did a cool rolling Death Valley driver and flung himself over the ring post Montez Ford style for a tope cannonball, followed by a tope suicida that connected and another one that Woods sidestepped. Wood then added his new flying elbow drop off the ropes. It's not that new, but it, he's using it a lot in singles matches for the one, two, three. Like I said, this was a lot of fun. For a match that was only seven minutes and 40 seconds, they got a lot in. Again, I wish they had three to five more minutes to tear the house down because the crowd right at the end of that match was picking up and they were ready to go wild. And if you add three to five more minutes of that at the end, they would have gone absolutely insane for it. That's how much the crowd was into it. I hope with a smaller roster, we see more ricochet like this on SmackDown. As far as the match goes, Woods had to win given his love for King of the Ring. I'll go 3.25 stars, even though this could have been so much more with a little bit more time. Yeah, like the whole point of King of the Ring is to just showcase a lot of guys who maybe aren't in the main event picture and, and make them, again, feel like a bit of a bigger deal. That's what we got in this match for, from both Woods and Ricochet. They would have liked for it to be longer, but yeah, the crowd getting into it at the end, like that's that's the point of doing these matches. That's the point of having a unique matchup that we haven't really seen before, Xavier Woods and Ricochet. So this was it was good. It was good. Just, you know, like with a lot of them, wish it could have been a little bit more. And then we got Kofi Kingston against Jinder Mahal. Kofi did a trust fall. They totally botched the SOS and Kofi landed on his head. I'm glad he was okay. Kingston got a near fall with a crossbody and Mahal got one with a gut buster. Kofi then hit his frog splash on Mahal's back for another near fall. Kofi nearly got uh, caught in a crucifix because he was helping Woods outside with, you know, uh, Shanky and Veer. Uh, Mahal then caught him flying with the Colossus for the win in nine minutes. This was the worst match and the worst result of the four in King of the Ring. Ugh. Very disappointing, very disappointing that we're not getting Woods and Kofi squaring off. You can have two faces and two friends wrestle. It's not bare knuckle fighting, okay? They're allowed to wrestle and they and hug it out at the end of the match. I don't see why you can't do this. I wish I had the Batista sound drop because WWE had a chance to give me what I want. And they just didn't, again, for no good reason. It's so short-sighted. The result was bad. The match was not very good. I know people always joke about don't hinder gender. I'm sorry, hinder gender. He's not a good wrestler. The character doesn't work anymore. The modern-day Maharaja, it was fun. 
And man, I guess maybe if they crown him King of the Ring and they go back to that gimmick, I guess it might be able to work a little bit. But the return of Jinder Mahal has been terrible since he came back a couple of months ago. I don't want it. And him advancing in this tournament is just ridiculous, given all the other talent they have on the roster. I don't mind Jinder, but I did, it was such a terrible decision to have him win this match. Not, not, only, not only do we want to see Kofi versus Xavier, friend versus friend, it's a natural story. You know, there's a lot you can do with it. They were hinting at it. Twice, they yeah. asked him like twice during the show, like, what's going to happen? If you don't tease us with that, like it's going to be a like a, a cool thing and then not do it like, man, that's it was such a letdown. This is I, by far. There's a lot of bad stuff on the show. This this was the worst part of the show to not move forward with this. This was not this, the worst part of the show, but it was really bad. It, it was the, it was the most upsetting part because of what was because these are higher tier people and they've sure. been basically okay. teasing what they were going to give us and then not give it to us. It doesn't have to be a new day breakup. Like y- you can have friend versus that's the whole point of the tournament is that it gives you a matchup. You wouldn't see otherwise. We're not going to, we're ne- we will probably never ever see Xavier Woods versus Kofi Kingston, especially if they don't break up, which there's is no reason unlikely. they can't. It could have been so cool next week. They play the new day music. Xavier comes out. Then they play it again. Kofi comes out, right? Yeah. They shake hands in the ring and they, they're talking to each other, buddy, buddy. They have a match for a brief moment during the match. It gets heated, but it's a really damn good wrestling match. At the end, whoever wins picks up the loser. They hug it out. They walk out together. They're still friends. Why can't, why is that a problem? I I, I have no idea. Like, like this is not... <sighs> The, this the, is explanation, not like, oh, man. the explanation has to be that one of them, they didn't want going to the final. That's the only explanation. And to me, that means Jinder Mahal is going to win this match. That That's my thought. That, which that, is even that worse. Which yes. is even worse yes. because you have a guy who legitimately loves this, who legitimately wants to be king of the ring, who's been talking about it for like five to seven years, maybe even 10 years at this point, who I, as a fan, legitimately want to win king of the ring or at least want him to have the chance to win King of the Ring by Ima- being in the Ima- final. Yeah. Imagine Xavier cutting a promo ahead of a Kofi match. Big E's got a world title. You've got a world title. King of the Ring is my world title. Right. I need this. I want this. Like, boom. Like, uh, and, and You guys are why. both champions. This is the crowning achievement in my career. This is what I've wanted. Even yeah. if he loses, it gives him something to strive for. Yeah. And, and Which is why you think, oh yeah, okay, so Sammy probably can't go to to Saudi Arabia. So you're going to get Finn. You're going to get Finn versus gender and you're going to have Finn win. And it's I, I hope Finn wins that. It's going to be fine. I mean, I guess it's possible. Just <laughs> That's what too. I'm saying. Like but, at this man. point, at this point, all, all bets are off, right? Yeah. Cause if I was fantasy booking this, if I was fantasy booking it from the beginning, okay, I'm just saying I would have had Sammy over Mysterio. I would have had Balor over Cesaro. So that's the same. And I would have had Balor beat Zane. So the SmackDown side, easy. But if I'm doing the other side, I'm doing Xavier, Kofi, and then Xavier. And then I don't know who's going to win between Balor and Xavier, right? Because anything can happen in one match. Now, I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, so Balor's obvious, we know, because of Sammy. I think gender is obvious. And now I'm super concerned that this whole thing is going to be done to crown another heel, just like with Corbin, with a stale king gimmick that's going to go absolutely nowhere. Whereas if they give it to Balor, 
he's the prince. Now he becomes the king. They already call him the demon king sometimes. It all actually oh really fits together. But it feels like they're going to counter expectation again, just as they did with having Kofi lose by having Jinder win this thing. This is like, this is actually two straight weeks on, on Raw where I've been very pissed at something they've teased and not delivered on. Last week it was Randy versus Omas. This week it's setting up Kofi versus Xavier. Don't do that. I don't give don't tell me we might do something that you're really going to like and then not do it. That just makes me mad. Why would you do that? Yeah. And I will say I actually was not bothered by Randy last week. I thought that was yeah, very, kind you. of smart the way they did it. But you it's fair. It's a fair. It's a fair for you. It's a fair opinion for you to have that expectation and be angry that they didn't deliver it. Just like me with the women's tag team match this week. Yep. It's really the same thing. OK, so let's move on to the Queen's crown. Um huh. I need to like almost adjust myself uh, in my chair. Uh, this is, is this the rant? Oh, it's here? coming. Oh, I, I'm gonna, right, uh, there's I'll, a lot coming before the rant, but it's coming. Uh, yeah, so I'll the SmackDown competitors, we're going to do this just like the King of the Ring. The SmackDown competitors were Zelina Vega, Tony Storm, Liv Morgan, and Carmella. The Raw competitors, Dewdrop, Natalia, Dana Brooke, and Shayna Baszler. So just like with the men, if we're going to assume that champions were not available and the tag teams were not available, the only other women that could have been in this tournament because there's a lot of the division that's out, not healthy, injured, Nia Jax, Bailey, Asuka, all gone right now for injury. Naomi, easily, of course. There's a storyline though with Naomi, so that's okay. Tamina, Tegan Knox, and Shotzi Blackheart. And they've now split up Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart. So it makes sense that they both could have been in this match as individuals or in this tournament as individuals. I'm going to roll through these four matches, Chris. And I'm just going to do this whole thing myself. You can Good talk point. at the end, okay? Because it's it's ugh, it's so pathetic. So we had Zelina Vega versus Tony Storm on SmackDown. They doubled down on this wild child of the 80s gimmick for Storm. It's terrible. I don't care if you want to present her that way, but to have her just like talk about rock music as her gimmick is ridiculous. She was Zelina, born in 1995 too. What'd you say? She was born in 1995. True, but what they said about her mom in the storyline is actually true. Her mom in New Zealand, Australia, I believe she's technically from both somehow, like one parent, one parent. Um, but her mom was legitimately like that and did raise her on 80s rock. So like it's a okay. real like personality trait of hers. And she always does dress and look like this as a wrestler. She always mm-hmm. has in her career. But literally calling her the, quote, wild child of the 80s is just in 2021 is is absolutely insane. Uh, but then then you get the match. And all we've been waiting for on SmackDown is for Tony Storm to wrestle this great wrestler who we've yet to see wrestle. And Zelina Vega beats her in 215 with a code red in what was completely an unremarkable match. Then we get Liv Morgan versus Carmella, where we just saw a nine minute match for them on pay-per-view. That was pretty good. Uh, I do want to make one small correction where I said last week that Mella's mask was cloth and that was stupid. It's actually plastic. It looked like it was cloth. So, okay, never mind. But Mella puts Liv in the cone of silence right away. Liv tries to rip her mask off. Morgan then hit a step up in Siguri and a code breaker. But Mella got her foot on the bottom rope. Then Carmella hung Liv up on the top rope and super kicked her to win in one minute and 35 seconds. The crowd was dead silent the entire time. No surprise given the absolute garbage they were watching. Then over on Raw, where women's matches historically get a lot more time, we have Shayna Baszler against Dana Brooke. Baszler catches Brooke's back handspring with a Kirafuda clutch. 
Brooke escaped, tried a couple pinning combinations for near falls that didn't work. Then Baszler caught her with a hard knee for the win in a minute and 25 seconds. Baszler is the only wrestler, and this was the only match in the entire event where a quick finish made sense given her booking as the absolute badass who was on a roll and just killing people. Then we had Natalia and Dewdrop. Natalia talked about family history in the tournament before the bell. Dewdrop missed her running sent on and missed a cannonball. Dewdrop then countered a sharpshooter with, yes, a roll-up for a win in the longest match of the four, three minutes. This is so pathetic and insulting to women's wrestling and not just women's wrestling, WWE's own fan base. Like it's, it actually hurt me inside to read the notes for those segments. First of all, these four matches combined, combined to last eight minutes and 15 seconds. That should be the length of one match. And it was basically the equivalent of the shortest of any of the men's King of the Ring matches, 740, 740, 815, negligible. Again, the total of four women's matches in a Queen's Crown tournament that you're trying to put at the level of King of the Ring combined was the shortest of the men's King of the Ring match individually. And the King of the Ring matches themselves aren't even that long to begin with, as we already discussed on the show, to my dismay. Remember, Chris, they have five hours of television, five hours, and they gave the four women's Queen's crown matches 8.15. WWE should be ashamed of itself for this. It's legitimately embarrassing that they are booking women's wrestling this way. It's embarrassing that they're booking any wrestling this way. On top of the fact that all of these matches are short, and again, the Baszler one made sense, the other three did not, why the hell would you book both Tony Storm and Liv Morgan to lose opening round matches. What the hell is Carmella versus Alina Vega gonna look like next week on TV? Especially when it looked like they were gonna be partners. Now you're having them fight each other. We got a review on the show from someone recently this past week that doesn't like that we've started cursing a little bit more. And you know what? They're right. We should cut that out. We should stop cursing as much on this show. But let me use one here. WWE's treatment of the women here is fucking terrible. It's pathetic, and they should be ashamed of themselves. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. I don't give a damn what you people that's the- Yeah, that's the problem, Vince. Yeah, I, I mean, you said it all. I... I- I don't understand. I don't understand what the point of this is. Like, what? What? What is the end goal of of Zelina and Carmella winning like that? Like, what? What is the purpose? What is the purpose? What does this do for Liv Morgan? What does this do for Tony Storm? I just, I don't even see the log. I don't see the logic behind it. In purely in the results, let alone the lack of time they got, it's it's a complete joke. And and you you said it all well there. And there's even more craziness. Like, so there's all this talk about Johnny Ace right now being part, the head of the talent relations. And historically, he's held women's wrestling down and all that type of stuff. And that's true. You know, I don't think he has a lot of sway in terms of the booking, 
Um, but certainly in terms of who WWE hires and, and who is featured on television, he does. But the, the, the mindset that a fan would have when considering this is, okay, WWE is going back to Divas era booking where they only push the hot women. They only push the women that are beautiful. Like that, that would be like the thought process, right? I'm not saying that that's what I believe, but that's what you would think WWE's thinking if that's what they're doing here. Liv Morgan and Tony Storm are gorgeous women, right? So like, even if that is like the mindset that you believe WWE is going with, it makes no sense that they wouldn't want to pu- push these women. They're also, and more importantly, in every possible way, extremely talented in the ring. Liv Morgan is one of the most improved women's wrestlers WWE has. And Tony Storm, especially for her age, is an incredible wrestler. Why did you bring Tony Storm up so early to not put her on television as a wrestler? And why, when you finally are putting her on television as a wrestler, are you having her lose to Zelina Vega, who basically had not won a match since she returned to WWE up until a couple of weeks ago? It is nonsensical. Like the match time is one thing. The booking decisions are a total other thing. It doesn't make a shred of sense. Why are you doing this? It, it's, it's, it's patently insulting. And it's, it's, it angers me to the core. Yep. And I, and I feel bad for all the women involved because, because none of them are being helped by any of this. And they're incredibly talented and deserve a heck of a lot more than the positions they're being put in, which is ridiculous. Okay, thank you guys for indulging me. I needed to do that. Let's move on to our next segment. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your money gets funny and the days ain't sunny. We showing you the good, the bad, the ugly. And this is for the hood. You got to love me. And that was ugly. <laughs> Let me just make it clear. It wasn't in the segment. I was actually upset. I didn't get to call it ugly. Yeah, that shit was ugly. All right. Moving on, we got more to talk about in the world of WWE from SmackDown and Raw. Uh, Biggie and Drew McIntyre ended up fighting the Usos in a tag team match in the main event of Raw. Well, you may be asking, how the hell did we get to that? That's a really good question. Uh, Biggie and McIntyre had a scheduled face-off where nothing happened. They said nothing to each other, but Biggie was funny making some jokes about dribbling stuff between his breasts and big meaty men slapping meat. And Corey actually said big meaty men slapping meat on commentary, which was funny. Uh, but the Usos came out on Raw, a show they're not on and a show they're not going to be on with no explanation other than because they're with Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, they can do whatever they want. They said the winner gets Reigns at Survivor Series and both McIntyre and New Day were in trouble when they start on SmackDown. And then a match was set because they super kicked them. Later backstage, uh, McIntyre and Biggie did the mega powers handshake uh, to kind of solidify themselves as a team. And I thought that was actually pretty good. Uh, and he, they also said that Reigns was scared of both of them. The opening segment, Chris, I thought was nonsensical. The backstage segment saved it a little bit because it was fun. But WWE already had a Can They Coexist match scheduled for the women. And they did the exact same thing here. So for the booking, I'll give it bad simply for laziness, even though I did like the backstage interaction. I'm actually going to give this a good. I, I mean, we got Drew McIntyre staring down Big E. I think that was last week. So it was natural to have the follow-up. And, and and this was that. And I liked Drew, you know, playing kind of the straight man to Big E's goofiness while they're both faces. And the, the, the biggest thing, Drew being back in street clothes, 
huge plus for that. We talked about it all throughout 2020. He looks so freaking cool when he's just dressed in pants and a jacket and stuff like that. He had the leather jacket on so much better than the kilt and that nonsense. Make him look like a real person and he's a badass. So it it, it drag. Oh, I'm sorry. It was it was two weeks ago, I guess, that they, they stared each other down. But it, it was OK. It was fine. It was setting up something. I agree. Doing the double. Can they coexist is, is a major problem. Um. But I, I liked seeing this interaction between two people that we haven't really seen interact before, at least at, on this level. So it felt a little bit, it felt a bit fresh to me. So I, I'm going to give it a good. Okay. Uh, then we got the match. Uh, Biggie missed a splash on the apron and got thrown into the steel steps. McIntyre got the hot tag, but ate a double super kick for a near fall. After two neck breakers, McIntyre prepared for the Claymore, so Biggie tagged himself in, which pissed Drew off. Biggie ate two super kicks for a near fall. Then Jimmy pushed Biggie into McIntyre, who pulled Biggie off a cover a moment later. They shoved each other and then brawled outside. And there was no DQ from the referee in this one, even though the faces were brawling, just like the faces were in the women's match. Instead, they got counted out. Completely inconsistent. The Usos then took them out with a double tope splash. It was so bad that fans actually started cheering for the Usos for a moment. The faces mm-hmm. then turned that around quickly, hit the Usos with a belly-to-belly suplex. Each of them did their own. And then they brawled with each other, the faces again in the ring with McIntyre hitting Biggie with the Claymore to end Raw. There was almost nothing redeemable about this. Sure, some of the wrestling was entertaining, don't get me wrong. But the finish with the face team hitting each other, it was identical to the women's match. And Biggie and Drew had even less reason than Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks to attack each other But not only was it repetitive booking, it wasn't consistent booking. That was ruled a double DQ in the women's match. The referee saw it. He was staring at it. He didn't call it anything in the men's match. He just counted them out afterward. The bright spot was WWE did create some legitimate beef between Biggie and McIntyre ahead of their match at Crown Jewel. But the creative that we got on the way there, honestly, it was just bad. Yeah, this it was bad, and the Usos are very over. By the way, I I mean they got one of the biggest pops when I was at Money in the Bank a couple months back when their music hit at the early on in Raw. They got a big pop. It's it's nice when tag teams kind of do tag team things as opposed to two two singles, folks. But yeah, (laughs) this was a mess. Um. There are other ways to build animosity ahead of a crown jewel match. Just just talk about how just awesome they are and let them look awesome and do cool stuff before they fight and make it feel like a heavyweight fight. Not that they're kind of goofy guys sometimes, but they got to get serious for this match. Just And then doing the same thing with the women and all that. It was just 100% bad. Yeah, bad top to bottom. Okay, moving on. Uh, Seth Rollins back on SmackDown defended himself for invading Edge's house after WWE basically aired the entire segment again from last week. A segment they didn't need to air and they could have given the time to the women's matches or even the men's matches, let's be honest. Then he got mad that Edge still hasn't answered him. Rollins told Pearson DeVille that SmackDown would not end well if Edge didn't show up before it was over and handed them a picture frame he stole from the house to give back to him if they saw him. In the main event segment, the final segment of the show, to my surprise, Rollins tried to goad Edge out by offering him anything he wanted and saying he was disappointing his fans and his family. 
Edge finally, at very last moment, got out of an Escalade looking jacked as hell. Like, he seemed to put on 10 pounds of muscle <laughs> in this short period of time where we haven't seen him on TV. I couldn't believe it. Rollins grabbed the chair, but Edge speared his ass in the ring and then over the announce table. Pat McAfee nearly got taken out in a hysterical spot, first by them, and then I think the cord, his microphone cord, got wrapped around his leg or something like that. Yeah. Edge grabbed a chair. He took, he stomped on it, took the bar out. He was about to put Rollins in the crossface when Rollins elbowed him to escape. Edge then grabbed the mic and said six words. You, me, hell in a cell. He sold the impact of it and the crowd went wild for it. This was not just good. This was great. This is how you use hell in a cell to conclude a blood feud. Not just because there's a branded pay-per-view coming up that you decide to have a hell in a cell match. It's the appropriate match for a strong storyline that has, yes, gone on a little bit too long. With this being the conclusion, I'm all in. The only negatives, as I said last week, both of them are going to Raw together. This should theoretically blow off a feud with people being separated after. I wish that was the case. Also, this is the fifth Hell in a Cell match that WWE is giving us in the last four months. So it does lose a little bit of impact there. I think it's, I should say, the fifth cage match slash Hell in a Cell match. But nevertheless, it loses some impact. Besides that, though, this was fire and Edge versus Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell. That is going to be some good shit. That is not the sound drop I meant to play. That one is. Yeah, Vince, you got one. This one's really good. I, I know some people don't want uh, as much cursing, but as as um, NXT and Seth Rollins told us, uh, you're allowed to say shit on TV now. So, well, I think look, qualified. shit, ass, asshole, words like that. It's not really cursing. This is a PG-13 show, right? We're not PG. We're not definitely not rated R. I think a couple episodes we may have used the f bomb a little bit too much. We can say shit. Sure, I don't care. Sure. About that. I, I I thought the Seth uh edge stuff was was good i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna give it a, a great I, I think it was good i like that he stole the picture frame you know I, I i mentioned that if you're gonna go to his house you gotta like do something to it rip up a kid's art or something so that was something um it's just the i'm, I'm glad this is the way to blow it off the only thing is just kind of two things have kind of hung over this for me one the whole story of their last match was Edge going to that dark place he hadn't been before. And that included the, the, the bloodbath and the brood entrance. And like, that was a great way to end that feud. And they did end that feud. So then to bring it back and now Edge has to go even darker, darker now. I I, I don't know. It's, 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 you can only go so dark, I think. And, and then the other is just simply that this is happening at crown jewel. I, I mean, uh, a hell in the cell, blow off match like this at a place like that. Don't love it, but we well, know is it, is it booked for that show? Oh, is it not? I guess I just assumed it was considering I, that's the, I'm going to check while you're talking, but I'm going to check while you're talking, but I didn't write it down because all he said was you, me, hell in a cell. He did not say you, me, hell in a cell at crown jewel. That's uh, true. It's at crown jewel. <laughs> it is, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I just, I just, I, I just assumed because that's what, that's no, what it's a fair doing. assumption. It's a fair assumption, but they did not say that. I just want to make it clear. Yeah. So that, that's where it, it just, I get it. You know, the build to this 
Crown Jewel has been better than the others because this is the big pay-per-view of the month that, that instead of running two at the same time. So that kind of hangs over it as well for me. But but this segment was certainly good. Yeah. And by the way, I did not give it a great because we can't give it a great because this is good, bad and ugly. I just said I thought it was great. Um, so just for the record, in case anyone's keeping score, it's a good because that's the best I can go. Uh, all right, let's keep going. Bobby Lashley was in the ring after a really long video package about Goldberg. He was cutting a pretty solid promo, even calling Goldberg out for the murder stuff that we've been talking about. Uh, but he got idiotic what chance from the crowd as per usual. Lashley said he made it a no holds barred match because Goldberg is acting like a rabid dog. He ended by saying the almighty can't be hurt and the almighty certainly can't be killed. The crowd was annoying, but I got I got to say, I thought this was another really good promo from Lashley. His confidence has skyrocketed in this new role and his promo game has completely turned around. As we said last week, I do not want to see Goldberg wrestle, but they have done a fantastic job selling this match. I am involved in the storyline, even though I don't want the match. And the fact that they're doing it no holds barred style, again, just like with Hell in a Cell, we can talk about hell, we can talk about murder, using weapons, all in Saudi Arabia, Blood Money in the Sand 6. The connotation of that doesn't really sit well with me. However, doing a no holds barred match is going to hide a lot of Goldberg's biggest problems, basically stamina these days at his age. This was good. I'm shocked to say it. I truly am. This continues to be good. Uh, I'm, I'm between good and bad. I didn't really care for it. It just kind of did nothing for me. I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. Just you don't think the there. crowd tilted you that way because the crowd was terrible? Uh, that, that was probably part of it. Um, it's another one of those like, well, we know what's happening. We just got to have it happen now. Instead, we're just kind of treading water with this cutting promos, doing whatever. I, I don't know. How about you have last year go out and whip on somebody and then cut a promo? cut a similar promo and say, this is what I'm going to do to Goldberg. I, I, I guess I'll give it a good, but I was just kind of mad on it. I like that we're having more uh, differing takes than usual today. That's, that's pretty good for a change. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Riddle versus Omas. Riddle told Randy Orton he challenged Omas because Orton's plan worked so well last week. He asked for a new plan and Orton said there isn't one. I just that was a one time thing. Riddle was funny backstage. And when he tried to reason with Omas before the match, I thought that was pretty good as well. Riddle tried to attack AJ Styles outside, but after Omos chokeslammed him and was ready to pin him, Styles stopped the pin so they could punish Riddle more. Omos roundhouse kicked Riddle, and then they watched replays of it as the crowd chanted for Randy. Omos then did his last ride style chokeslam for the win. When Styles went to attack, Orton appeared out of nowhere. I assume they hit him under the ring. The camera work I didn't like for this. Uh, and he RKO'd Styles out of nowhere. I bet people are going to criticize this, maybe you included, for Orton not showing up earlier. To me, that made complete sense, given he told Riddle he was on his own for mm -hmm. the match. Once it went past that and they were going to take advantage of him, Randy came out to help. The only problem I had with this really is Omos squashing someone in Riddle who should be considered an upper mid-carder at a minimum. I know they want Omos to look good. He should not be squashing one half of the tag team champions and one of the most over people on your entire roster. And because of that, I can't go good for this, so it was bad. I'm going good. They they they, they gave they gave me what they didn't give me last week. They, they, they gave us Riddle Omas and had a match. And now it was a little bit weird. It wasn't a full on match. You had kind of AJ talking and doing a lot of that stuff too afterward and stuff. But you know that was a pretty good kick that Omas delivered. You know, I everybody knows I am very much on the Omas train. 
I think this is a good way to just showcase him a little bit uh, again. Now, if you want to say he shouldn't be squashing Riddle, I think that's totally fair. Riddle has actually taken a lot of losses over the last couple of months. He has. Kind, kind of surprising amount, frankly. Um, and yeah, Randy didn't need to come out right away because he said he wasn't, wasn't going to be there. More, I'm giving this a good for the segment, but more than anything, I've just I've been disappointed with RK Bro as tag team champs because I want to see them wrestling other teams. Like we're just doing the same thing here with with these with these guys again. You know, when you get a new champion, when you get something, put them in some fresh matchups. Give us some new stuff that that's supposed to be the excitement when the title changes. You know that 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 title's division should change a bit. Don't just flip the title and keep giving us the same things. You, you could have had Omos and, Ra- and and AJ as the champions and run this exact same segment the exact same way. That, that That's, I just kind of wish they'd get away from each other now. But, you know, for what this was on Monday, I, I did enjoy it. Gave it a good. All right. We are definitely on the same page today. That's really interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, over to not SmackDown. On the same page. I'm saying not on the same page. Yes, I'm sorry. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Not, not on the same page today. Um, over on SmackDown, Naomi confronted Sonya about not being in the Queen's Crown tournament. Honestly, Naomi, you're lucky at this point that you're not in the tournament. <laughs> uh, Sony told her she's not even worthy of being on the roster. So Naomi asked Pierce to trade her back to Raw. Sonya stopped that talk and said Naomi had a match next week against her. Now, this was the inevitable conclusion, of course. But for some reason, this feels rushed to me. Shouldn't Naomi be the one demanding that match? Maybe it's a swerve and Sonya is going to pick someone else to step in for her. But this was good enough, and I am enjoying the storyline. If it does happen, it's going to be Sonya's first match in 14 months, and I I can't wait to see her back in the ring. So there's a lot of positives surrounding this. But the storyline of this didn't make sense. When Naomi said, if Sonya won't give her a match a couple of weeks ago, then why don't you fight me? Sonya said no. Now, Naomi wants to get traded. Sonya doesn't want her on the roster, but Sonya's willing on her own to suggest they wrestle. If this is a way to debut a, a woman and have her beat Naomi and, and that continues the storyline of Naomi being held down by authority, then that's good. But if they're just going to go here and wrestle, I, it doesn't really make a lot of sense given you would think that Naomi would maybe attack her or would do something to Sonya Deville to piss her off so much that it would get her to make the match that Naomi's been demanding. I, right. I don't know. I thought this was messy. But like it was good. Weeks, it was good though. Co- Last week or a couple weeks ago, we had Naomi out there and she had to bring security out there and stuff like that. The the only thing I think that's missing, and correct me if I've missed it, we don't actually know why Sonya's doing this, right? She said on SmackDown, uh, basically here, that she thinks Naomi's overrated and that anytime she's been given up an opportunity, she doesn't make the most of it. And she was didn't want her on the roster. That trading for her was not her idea. So that is the motivation it hasn't been super clear, but she has definitely said it on TV. Okay. I, I, I didn't see SmackDown Live, so I must have missed that part. But that's 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 not bad. Basically just saying, I don't think you're any good. I think you're overrated. Yeah, she doesn't think and she's that, worthy. Is and what, and now I'm going to show you. Okay. I, I, I think that actually works. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think you could have done a little bit more to build it. Although, you know, they kind of have. They've, they've, they've had Naomi... Talked to her week after week. They had security kick her out. I I, I think um, I think it makes sense. I, I'm giving this a good. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good until it's not. Is kind of how I'm thinking about it. But mm-hmm. this was the out of all of their interactions over the last like four weeks, this was the weakest. I thought that it made the least sense out of all of them. That's the best way I can put it. 
Uh, over back on Raw, we had Jeff Hardy versus Austin Theory. After a cool rolling dropkick by Theory, the 24-7 idiots all ran in through the ring, distracting them. Hardy caught Theory with an inverted atomic drop and a twist of fate. But Theory avoided the Swanton Bomb. And then, yes, once again, rolled up Hardy, grabbing the tights for the win. They actually zoomed in on the tight grab, so that was kind of cool at least. I don't mind the finish, given Theory is a rookie heel. But again, I know this is becoming a theme on this show. They could have done this at the end of a full match, where we get to see that Austin Theory is this really talented wrestler. They go six minutes, seven minutes. You're like, oh my God, maybe Theory is going to beat Jeff Hardy for real. Then it turns out he's not, and he needs to cheat to win. Instead, we got 90 seconds of bullshit. This was a 90-second match. It was bad. Yep, bad. Something that they could have done something with, and instead they put the bare minimum amount of effort into doing bad. Yeah. Storyline, not bad. Execution, horrific. Absolutely terrible. Uh, We got Hurt Business against Mustafa Ali and Mansoor. Alexander avoided a 450 splash and countered with a Mishinoku driver for a win in what must have been 90 seconds or less on Ali. Ali then got mad at Mansoor for trying to help him and pushed him afterwards. This wasn't long enough to be ugly. Ali later admonished Mansoor for trying to be a good guy, calling him a worthless loser. Mansoor didn't do anything about it, so Ali attacked him from behind, threw him into a road case. The match was bad. Don't get me wrong, no doubt about it. But the backstage segment, it did turn me around on this. Mansoor was obviously always going to wrestle at Crown Jewel, I thought they were going to have a tag team match, not for the titles necessarily, but I thought they'd build up a feud, maybe against this Creo and Garza situation where they have a blow off match and they get 15 minutes at Crown Jewel so Mansoor can get over with Ali. But apparently they're just going to go one-on-one here so Mansoor can continue his winning streak at this show and beat Ali. The segment was good uh, backstage. So to my surprise, it turned me around from the disaster of a 90 second match. And I'm actually going to go ahead and say good here. Um, they've always kind of been like, in terms of what they're doing has not been bad. You can kind of see what they're doing. It's just kind of low stakes and happens quickly. And you're not, it's it's kind of, it's kind of done. Um, It's treated as unimportant. Right. And I think you could just put a little bit of effort into it to make it feel like a bigger deal. But the the match was bad, yeah, but they, they've obviously been building to this moment and they have this, you know, kind of blow up. So it, it works. It's kind of one of those where, again, I think I do this a lot where like I give it a good, but it's like it's not the same level of good as it is on, on other ones. Like it's good, but low stakes. So it's not the kind of good that really raises the quality of the show. Yep. All right. Back on SmackDown. Uh, happy talk. So Madcap Moss's gimmick is that he tells bad jokes. Kevin Owens came out after 30 seconds and attacked both men. Then he got beat down two-on-one, obviously, because he attacked two people. Moss had a neck breaker and then laughed hysterically. That was literally the entire segment. It was horrendous. And my first, and I think only, ugly of the entire week. Given it an ugly, saying the same thing I said last week, which was sometimes it feels like maybe Kevin Owens is on his way out of WWE and this is kind of just what he's going to be doing until then. I don't know. It's it's too bad. Uh, John Morrison was meditating cross-legged when Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley approached, didn't understand what he was doing, and then left. I don't even think this was long enough to grade. It was 45 seconds that could have just been given to any of the women's matches. It was completely unnecessary to do this. I don't have a grade. Nothing happened. 
it, it was weird, but I I'd like I always like characters interacting with each other who aren't in a story together. Like that's just like you could do kind of stuff like that all the time. But other than that, yeah, I don't really know how to grade it. A uh, hit row got a pretty hot, I thought, vignette on SmackDown. And it seems like they're keeping the same aesthetic that they had on NXT, maybe a little bit more polished, but I'm cautiously optimistic they're going to be awesome on the main roster. I did think that was a pretty cool video and I did enjoy that and liked it. Uh, Yeah, it was, it was fine. Not much there, but yeah, it was good. Okay. And Mace showed up backstage, even though he won't compete on SmackDown for two weeks, he looked exactly the same, saying he didn't see competition, but just people he wanted to annihilate. As I've said before, I actually don't mind the name Mace. It's a perfectly fine name for a wrestler. The look and the gimmick is just horrendous, and I cannot believe they're debuting him and didn't change it. Hopefully, because we did not see T-Bar on Raw, maybe they're going to change it for him at least so that Mace is the only one keeping this aesthetic and T-Bar gets to do something else. But as far as this on SmackDown, because nothing changed, it was bad. Yeah, what what the heck? <laughs> what what? It's not even a repackaging. It's just whatever. Yeah, it, it's a bad. You, you're really blowing an opportunity to do something here. Okay, uh, a couple more things to discuss before we get out of here. Uh, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly segment is over. I did want to quickly go over this crown jewel card. Uh, we're going to do the full ultimate preview on next Tuesday's WWE show because the event again is Thursday at noon Eastern, which is great for Chris and I during our workday. Um, but this card is insane. I just, I just got to be honest. It's ridiculous. Okay. We have Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar for the universal title. We have Biggie versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE championship. We have Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, and Sasha Banks in a triple threat match for the SmackDown women's title. Bobby Lashley against Goldberg in a no holds barred match. Edge against Seth Rollins, Helena Cell. Mansoor against Mustafa Ali in a singles match. And then the finals of King of the Ring and Queen's Crown, which we hope and assume are going to at least get a little bit of time considering they're going to be on a pay-per-view. This is a WrestleMania card. I mean, it is. It's not, it's not booked to be a WrestleMania card. It's not as exciting. There's not as much interest given it's Blood Money in the Sand 6 and given everyone knows it's a throwaway event. But they really booked this as a major, major pay-per-view. This card is as good or better, going back to that term, that phrase that they used for the very first Blood Money in the Sand, it is legitimately as good or better of a card as a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam. And the credit I want to give WWE is unlike past Crown Jewels, the booking isn't as forced. It doesn't feel like we're in a situation where they're throwing things into the normal product. This all feels part of the normal product because it's the only pay-per-view in October. So I give them a little bit of credit there. They have built a really interesting show. I just absolutely loathe the fact that it's in Saudi Arabia. Yep. Really wish this whole event wasn't happening. Um, I typically don't watch these, partially because it's during the day, partially because I just kind of don't want to. Um, but I'm going to have to for, for this they, they made it. They made it a must-watch. They did. They they did, and yep. and you know, that's what happens when you you make it the only pay per view of the month. So it's a really good card with a lot of really good matches and looking forward to. Um, it, it, it's kind of it's interesting because like so the, the the kingdom of Saudi Arabia they're using their sovereign wealth fund. They just bought Newcastle United, a, a 
Premier League team, English soccer team. They did? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, that that's I think that's it looks like it's gone through now. And and you you get this in English soccer where you have these you know kind of shady government figures owning these billion dollar franchises. I'm a Manchester City fan and they're owned by Sheikh Mansour of Abu Dhabi. And it creates a, just a, always a strange dynamic of how you're supposed to feel about what you're watching. Like you root for the team, but you you know really don't support the owners and kind of a history of human rights abuses that are often paired along with this. So it's like, I'm excited for the wrestling. I, I hope the wrestlers all do well and everything, but it also kind of just sits over everything, kind of especially what's happened in Saudi Arabia a lot. And it's just a weird kind of feeling. And I don't really, I don't really know. I'm going to watch it this time, but it just kind of feels a bit icky. It always feels icky, unfortunately. And then lastly, Chris, before we get out of here, uh, let's talk about next week's SmackDown, or I should say this week's SmackDown, which is going to be a little bit unique because due to the MLB playoffs, uh, it's going to be moved off of Fox onto FS1. And we've seen when WWE gets moved to FS1, the ratings naturally going from network to cable on a different channel that people aren't used to and you know people don't know, they plummet. Uh, they usually drop around a million or maybe a little bit more from 2.2, 2.3 million, which is what they normally get on Fox. And because of this, as WWE always does, it is putting together a bigger show. Brock Lesnar is going to be on the show. We have Sasha Banks fighting Becky Lynch one-on-one, and we have the semifinals of the King of the Ring and the Queen's Crown Tournament. But in addition to that, WWE is actually doing a supersized SmackDown that's going to air for two and a half hours, as opposed to the normal two hours. Now, I do want to give a little bit of context before we talk about this. Every time that WWE has aired on FS1, they've always given them the additional 30 minutes after the show. That has either been for backstage or for talking smack or for something else, but because backstage is canceled and I suppose WWE either wanted to go a little bit head to head with AEW or they just wanted the extra time given that they could have it potentially, or maybe Fox wanted them to have the extra time given they're taking a network show and putting it on cable. I don't know the exact reason, but they're still going to utilize that additional half hour that is sitting there for them. So they're going to run a two and a half hour show. So let me read for you uh, what Tony Khan had to say about that AEW's owner and president. I saw you're doing a half hour head to head with us. I can't wait to finally beat your main show head to head. It's been a long time coming. See you next Friday. Now, maybe we should not mention for Tony that the last Rampage did about 600,000 viewers and a 0.17 demo, Uh, but that's what he had to say. Uh, Then he eventually came back and sent a bunch of tweets following that up. Basically, I think he said something like, hey, Vince, or, or he didn't say anything about Vince in particular, but he basically said, hey, look, I'm not trying to go make a thing about this. Um, you know, Eric Bischoff tried to do that back in the day and failed. That's not what this is about. I just really want to support my brand and my company. And then right before we taped the show, uh, Tony Khan apparently said on WFAN, I have not been able to confirm this, WFAN in New York, that AEW is going to air a live buy-in show on YouTube Friday, starting at 9 p.m., head-to-head with SmackDown, and they're going to put the Brian Danielson-Bobby Fish singles match on that as opposed to their television show. So Tony Khan, who first calls out WWE for doing this, whether it was a shot at AEW or not, 
Let's assume it was, but whatever. He calls him off. Then he backs off of it because probably some PR people kind of told him, hey, Tony, that you're going to get crushed here. Probably not a good idea to do that. Um, also, you're punching up for really no good reason whatsoever. But then now they're doing a YouTube special going head to head with WWE SmackDown, a YouTube special going head to head with a network television show as if he's going to take TV well, viewers te- te- away. Technically, it's, technically is not a television. cable television show. OK, <laughs> WWE's a show, uh, but he's doing a YouTube special. This all to me, I just I'm going to be honest, it reeks. Um, I'm glad that AEW exists. It's a good product. I like that it's providing competition for the wrestling dollar and for mm-hmm. viewership in terms of what people care about. We thought it would make WWE better. It has not actively made WWE better yet. But all of this to me from Tony Khan, it's really kind of pathetic and it's punching up and he's going to lose. I don't know what the point is. So to me, this is a failure for him. Um, but hey, man, you're a billionaire. It doesn't matter if you lose. You're still a winner. So go do your thing. Yeah, so previous SmackDowns on FS1 have typically done in the 880,000, 850,000 to million range, it seems like. Last week's um, Rampage was, I think, around 500 or 600. It, it, it hasn't, those ratings have been going down. They haven't been great. So, yes. And by the way, that Rampage will still be going against baseball also. You know? Yes. They're both going so, against baseball. Right. So it's very, very unlikely that rampage was going to beat smackdown even on fs1 but you mean smackdown's going to beat rampage um, yes i'm sorry smackdown's going to be rampage but i totally think it makes sense for tony to try to you know rally the aew fans and 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 make rampage feel like a bigger deal this week to try to beat them that that's half of what aew's whole thing is is talking about the demo and trying to beat WWE in various ratings that had the whole NXT war. So I, I get that. And yes, I do think WWE putting on an extra half hour of wrestling is probably a response to Rampage. You know, when it had the extra half hour for Talking Smack or whatever in the past, there was no Rampage, you know, going on. So yes, probably WWE trying to preempt Rampage a bit. Something I probably didn't need to do, but they are doing it. So I get AEW trying to respond. But saying we're going to beat you in the ratings is a bold, likely untrue statement. And so now you're kind of scrambling. A YouTube show is not going to impact SmackDown's ratings whatsoever. You can watch both of them at the same time, <laughs> you know, for, for one. Um, so but overall, I, I like the feuding between the companies. I, I want them to push each other and kind of jab each other and stuff like that. So I, I think <coughs> I think Tony kind of got a little ahead of himself with some of this stuff and is being a bit too reactionary, but it's a moment for him to react. And, and so he's doing it. I do want to issue a correction before I continue. Br- Brian Danielson and Bobby Fish will both be in action. They're not fighting each other. Okay. That match, I think, so. is happening on Dynamite next week. So it's but, very but, confusing. But they... But Brian Danielson will be wrestling on the YouTube buy-in? Presumably, yes. I mean, that's what it seems like this is. Again, I'm re- really reading this like right as it's happening, um, as okay. we're taping the show. So I, I can't dig into it. I normally dig into things. I write things down. I get a quote if I need. I, I don't have, this, yeah. I don't have way, a WFAN it, it, interview in front of me to hear. So sure. I can't I, AEW got, got hit with something that's not ideal. In well, the this end, is what it is. Big. I, I got I to gotta be honest here. Like, first of all, 
AEW mentions WWE. It's not the other way around. There Was there the one Sami Zayn mention that was done to pop the crowd during that straight jacket segment? Sure, that was like 18 months ago. I don't even know how long ago that was. Did Triple H call them a pissant company as a joke to Billy Gunn like before it started uh, during a Hall of Fame ceremony? Sure. But WWE on its programming does not talk shit about AEW. AEW does it constantly to WWE. And not only that, Tony Khan actively and purposely is punching up and trying to call out WWE, sometimes for things he thinks are against him, but oftentimes just in general. He'll say something that's a shot at them, right? So look, this man, again, I can't stress this enough. He's a freaking billionaire, right? He can do whatever the hell he wants. He doesn't need to worry about how I view him, how you view him, everyone else. But, But I do have an opinion on it. And my opinion on it is worry about yourself. You're putting on a really damn good wrestling product and you're succeeding even beyond your own wildest expectations. Why do you keep trying to fit WWE into it? It is not 1995 anymore. People have so many media options to choose from. To me, this turns me off uh, uh, continuously of AEW. I want AEW to be great on its own, not great in comparison or because they're taking shots at WWE. So this, to me, it seems like WWE did something here. Now, when they added the half hour, was it a, you know, a shot at AEW without actually taking one verbally? Maybe. Let's say it was. Let's just make the assumption it was. But for Tony to be tweaked so hard by that, to then send a tweet and then go on a Twitter rant saying, hey, look, I'm not trying to physically challenge Vince here and and doing his whole shtick, it shows like they're really under his skin. Like like them doing well, anything yeah. minutely really, really bothers this guy to the degree that he not only has to go on a Twitter storm about it when he first finds out, he has to backtrack it a little bit the next day and then goes in the other direction again two days later and is announcing a buy-in for a rampage. This isn't a buy-in for a dynamite. It's not a special edition of Dark or Dark Elevation. It's not a buy-in ahead of a pay-per-view that WWE happens to be running on the same day. It's ahead of their lowest rated show that has ratings that keep going down at 9 p.m. on a Friday when there's an MLB playoff game, Shark Tank, and SmackDown that are already on. I don't know what he's doing here. To me, it's honestly just kind of a little bit pathetic. This is the first time that we're going to get AEW against WWE main roster programming. So it, 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 is, it is, but there's circumstances involved. Like, no, I, I know for sure, but I'm just saying it, it is, it, it does matter in that fact. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of AEW fans who care about the ratings. They do. Who, yes. who, who want yeah. to rally around uh, going to head to head. So it makes sense that Tony would want to stoke those flames a bit and try to get that fan base to rally together to, to to try to beat SmackDown. I hope that all those fans, fun. I hope all those fans, instead of going out and having fun on Friday night with their friends and family, going to dinner, going to shows, I hope they stay home and just watch Rampage just so they can stick it to Vince and give them like a, a 0.01 ratings point higher. That's what by I'm the way, if about. you're not a Nielsen, by the way, if you're not in a Nielsen home, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't yeah. impact the ratings. I just, just that, that's a I whole still think people don't thing. understand how Nielsen works. It's a representative. Yeah, unless sample. you have the dial that they give you and you're paid like a dollar to do it, your viewing doesn't, but, but, but the point is <laughs> I understand where Tony's coming from. He's trying to, this is the first real head to head under unusual circumstances and AW 
thrives in those situations a lot. They rally their fans. And so he's trying to do it. I think the way he went about it was probably not ideal. And they're kind of scrambling to come up with other things. They could have had a better plan, perhaps. But I, 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 see, I see where he's coming from. I think, I think you say, hey, I think you send a tweet. You say, hey, heard we have some competition coming up this Friday. Let's put on an awesome rampage. I cannot wait to show you guys this, this episode. That's it. Book an extra I, I, match. I, I, book an extra really good match for the show. That's it. Yeah, just book a great show and response and try to beat him and see what happens. That's all you need to do. But he, for him to take it this way, it just, it just, it just turns me off. I'm sorry. I know I'm not one of those people um, who really buy into this shit. I just want the shows to be really good. That's all. That's all I really care about. And I, I get upset. Mm-hmm. I get upset when they're not good. I get upset when WWE's not good. You heard it on today's show. I get yes. upset by when AEW's not good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I yeah, didn't. He, I, I, I did not like the product that AEW gave us last week. I didn't. I'm saying we spent a lot of t- a lot of today ripping on WWE just in case anyone hears this Tony segment and wants to think that we're we're WWE stands against AEW or something. We like both shows. We hate both shows sometimes. It's just if it's a good show or not. Yeah, like I, I actually had two people DM me saying, Adam, you were way too negative about AEW last week. No, I wa- like I don't have a bias where like I I want to dislike AEW. I watch wrestling television. I watch what is it now, Chris? Do, give me a count. Uh, seven, nine, ten hours. There's ten hours of wrestling TV that I'm watching every week to do two episodes of podcasting with you, right? A lot of it's not going to be good. Some of it's going to be great. There's going to be weeks where all of it is incredible. There's going to be weeks where most of it, or at least a lot of it, is not good. Last week. AEW was it did not hit my sensibilities. The week before, we talked about how much we liked it. It's not a bias. It's just being honest. It's telling you when things are good and when things aren't. This past week, AEW, not great. WWE, not great. I'm hoping that this week is better. We have a loaded, let's be can't, let's be, let's we just talked about it. We have a loaded SmackDown on FS1. I hope that show is good. Dynamite looks like it's gonna be pretty solid. NXT looks like it's gonna be pretty solid this week. Rampage actually doesn't seem like it's going to be that good, but we're going to we're going to see and find out, and we'll talk about it on the show. We have, of course, the Thursday show coming up where we're going to talk uh, last Friday's Rampage along with NXT. That's all coming up this Thursday. Next week we'll be back on Tuesday with our WWE Crown Jewel Blood Money in the Sand Six Ultimate Preview. We're going to talk about everything that happens on SmackDown and Raw along with giving you an entire preview for that show, which is going to be on Thursday. As soon as WWE Crown Jewel goes off the air, we will publish the instant analysis of Crown Jewel Blood Money in the Sand 6. There will not be a live Twitter show on Thursday due to it happening during the workday. I'm excited to bring it to you. Chris, I'm sure, is excited to bring it to you, even though I'm kind of dominating here to get to the finish really quick because this show went on about 20 minutes longer than it should have because we've been bullshitting here at the end. Um, But look... I hope you guys are excited for more wrestling this week. I hope you're excited to listen to the upcoming podcast and all of next week's shows. Please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please do not forget to leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Tell people how much you love the show. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thank you all for listening to today's show. Thank you for indulging this 20-minute spiel that we went on at the end of the show. Uh, I appreciate all of you for being getting overheads for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King. Adam Silverstein leaving you with three final words. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>